Welcome to A Better HR Business, the podcast that looks at how HR consultants and HR tech firms grow their businesses and how they help their employers to get the best out of their people. Remember, for show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Okay, let's get started. Hello, welcome back to the show. Thanks very much for joining me. Nice to have you along. I am delighted to be joined today by Stephen Bates, and we're going to be talking about beating your HR business blocks, and in particular, the 10 big mistakes that are holding consultants back. Stephen, thanks very much for joining me. It's a pleasure. It's really good to be here. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this one. I think this is going to be a really hot topic for people, so thank you for joining me. What we're going to be doing is going through the 10 mistakes, but firstly, Stephen, can you give us a bit about your background and what led you up to this point? Yeah, people are always a bit surprised, especially when they hear I started off my career in business as a physiotherapist, um, yeah. especially when they hear what I actually do now. Back as a physio a long time ago, I was absolutely stunned and puzzled by why so many people didn't do the things that could actually make them better. You know, they were in pain and they didn't do things that actually helped themselves. So that really turned my head. That was, oh, 25 years ago plus. And this is my speciality. I, I, my speciality is helping people who basically get in their own way. So um, my company uh, in 2002, so I've been doing this a while, as I said, ex-physiotherapist. Um, and that's what I do. And that's where it comes from. Well, that's what I did. And that's where it comes from. Um, passionate tango dancer. I love dancing tango. <laughs> and um, blocks coach is what, what I was named really by my clients more than anything. So it sort of stuck. Brilliant. That's, that's, that's me in a very short nutshell. Nice. Did you ever see Moulin Rouge, the movie Moulin Rouge? Yes. Is that a tango that they do there that, to the Roxanne? The, the, yeah, um, the police it is song? A tang- it is a tango. You can tango to it. It is, right. yeah. <laughs> we can, you, you have no idea what kind of worms you just opened for people who are tango dancers. <laughs> that's, that, that'll, that'll take up the whole of the podcast. But oh, yeah, dear. It's, it's, right. it, technically, you can tango to it. I might have to <laughs> cut off your microphone there for a second. No. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Cool. All right. Now, for people listening, um, Stephen and I are launching, uh, have just launched a, a new course called Beating Your HR Business Blocks. And we're going to be diving into some of the stuff that we're talking about today. And it's, I think, so powerful. And you'll hear from some of the mistakes that people make, why it's so powerful and how it can help you in your business and really take things up to the next level. We'll take a a bit of a look at that in a little while. Let's dive then into the 10 big mistakes that are holding consultants back. So the first one is not asking for the sale at the end of a sales meeting or sales call. But before I uh, pass that to you, Stephen. It just triggered a, a f- funny story or a memory, and maybe even a painful memory of when I first began my own HR consulting business. And one of my best mates said, oh, you should talk to my brother. He's got a, an accounting firm and it was a successful firm. And so he arranged for his brother and I to meet in, in my, my mate's place. And we're just sitting there in the, in the uh, sitting room chatting away. But it took me forever to work up to the courage to ask about, can I get his help or his advice? It was, it was hilarious looking back on it. I was asking him about what's his favorite song? What's his favorite color? My favorite color is green. Do you like green? Just it was inane. <laughs> Honestly, it was terrible. And after about 20 minutes of this ridiculous song and dance, my mate just said, um, so you guys going to talk business or what? I went, oh, thank you. 
And I, <laughs> I said, yeah, I'm setting up my business. You know, any advice? And he said, yeah, well, you, you need to meet some of my clients and this is what they want to ask you about. So make sure you've got answers for this. Fabulous, but just didn't have the courage. So Stephen, why don't people ask for the sale at the end of a sales meeting or a sales call? Yeah, I'm smiling because I, I, I hear this so often. But actually, there's actually something, you know, just thinking about this as you're going through that. They don't even allow themselves to have sales meeting or sales calls. Right. They won't even, and we, and we do cover that to a certain extent in, in the program. We actually yep. touch on that because the thing about sales is, is in a couple of ways is that a lot of professional people don't want to be considered as a salesperson. So that's one of the big reasons, because we've all been on the receiving end of that pushy, horrible salesperson. Mm. And professional people, and I found this right across the board of professions, who pride themselves on their ability and their skills, don't want to be thought of as one of those horrible, pushy, nasty people. So therefore, what they don't do is they don't understand that sales is actually a really important part of you being able to help your client and you getting paid. Yeah because they think it's all about one particular sales style. So being pushy and aggressive is a sales style, but it's the one that tends to hit the news. That's the one that everyone knows about and everyone hates, mm. but it does work. That's why people do it, but it's just not a, it's a very painful experience to be on the receiving end of. Mm. So people don't want to be, be like that. So that's the first reason. We don't want to be associated in our mind for that sort of person and lowering our value of ourselves. And then the other big reason is because we don't want to get a no. We don't want to be rejected. We don't want to fail. So while the sales process is open, while it's still going on, there's still hope. We could still get it. We could still get the contract. But the moment you actually ask for the sale, you're going to get a yes or a no. Or, or maybe, which is sometimes more painful because they yeah. need more information, but you're going to get an answer. And here's the thing, though, I want to, I want to, you know, from my point of view, I actually know that people who are, you know, you might be going to a client and the client you think has all the power. It's like in a, an interview setting. Yeah. The person who's being interviewed thinks, the company interviewing them has all the power. The person interviewing them has all the power over their career, their life and death, their mortgage and everything else. But you'll remember, and if you've done this as an HR person, you would, I suspect you would have had many interviews and inter interviewed people, is that you need to get, they need to get it right. They need to hire the right person. Yes. So they're nervous too. So what happens is, and, and you know, you juke around a little bit, a little bit like in your story, you juke around a little bit, perhaps not knowing what to do and how to do it, but also not, not wanting to be rejected, not wanting to make a mistake, not wanting to mess things up. And therefore what we don't do is we don't want to ask for the sale. I should, I should clarify for people listening that what we mean by not asking for the sale at the end of a sales meeting or a sales call is actually, this happens so much where you go in and you do a consulting call with a prospective new client, you explain what you can do and you've learned what their situation is and all that sort of stuff. And then you just let the meeting end. Yeah. That's what we mean. It's not actually going, right, what's the next step? Are we going to be working together, et cetera, et cetera. However you want to phrase that, but not making that conversation happen. Yeah. And it's simply, simply as, a, you know, could be is 
would you like me to help you with this? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, and, so, if, you know, and all salespeople have got 175,000 different ways of closing. <laughs> but, but ultimately it comes down to, should we move on with this? Should, mm. we, should we actually make this happen? Yeah. So the, the two big reasons, though, is that, you know, we don't want to be rejected. That's the first one. It's the biggest one. But also we don't want to come over as salesy. But actually sales is a process. So don't get that confused with the style of some salespeople because it's costing you money. Guarantee yeah. it's costing you money. It doesn't need to. Definitely. And it damages, damages your prospective client's business because – Yes. Oh, I've got I've got a story very similar to this. I don't know if you've got time. This is this, Go on. think about it. Think about it in this way. This is when I was very young. I think I was eighteen years old, and I went out on a date, and she was lovely. <laughs> and I thought, ah, oh, she's gorgeous, and everything else. And I was really surprised. She was, you know, a year younger than me or something like that. So we were both amateurs. We had no idea what <laughs> we were doing really, and. We went out on this date and I thought she was lovely and she was really quiet and hardly talked. And I just thought, oh, well, obviously she doesn't like me. Mm. 15 years later, we bump into each other. And she said, I went out on a date with you. And she said, I said, yeah. And I said, why did you never call me again? I said, I didn't think you liked me. You hardly spoke <laughs> to me. You didn't look at me. She goes, no, I was just really shy. I thought you were lovely. Oh. <laughs> there you go. Just wow. remember that, okay? My goodness. Oh, Stephen, I'll send you the bill for my therapy <laughs> session, by the way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> All right. Question number two. It's not even a question. It's just the topic of undercharging. This is such a big one, Stephen. Huge. Absolutely huge. I've had two conversations in the last 24 hours with people who are massively undercharging and – there's one I had this morning, literally this morning, a few hours ago, and I told him how much a client of mine was charging who was in exactly the same space as he was, and he's struggling, mm. and my client is doing a figure every month that he said, wow, that's amazing, that's unbelievable, and that's yeah. the thing, it's unbelievable. So these two people are similar in so many ways. They have similar qualifications, they have similar... Uh, experience but one believes in their value and the other one doesn't simple as that simple as that mm. and what happens is people undercharge so it's massively stressful because you don't earn what you need to earn to have the lifestyle you you feel like you're you know you're devaluing yourself so you're fed up with yourself because you know you should be charging more and often people are underneathing as well, meaning you have skills, but you won't go to somebody and say, uh, at a different level, a higher level, I can do this for you. So it's a very, very common thing I work with all of the time. People undercharge, again, because it's about their belief in themselves. Yeah. And we use the word mindset, but basically, let's go old school and just use the word that it really is. It's how we think about ourselves. It's thinking. So we end up massively undercharging, have a lot of stress, cash flow is tight, can't do the things we want to do, can't live the way we want to live, and it's it's just in your head. Yeah. And there's an, another one to add to that list is consultants can resent their clients. Oh, oh gosh, I'm doing this for cheap, and you know they don't even appreciate it sort of stuff. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And the clients that will buy cheap will ask you for those because it's all about the price. Mm. And the ones that are prepared to pay the right amount of money know the value that you're bringing. Oh, that's such a different story. It's a wonderful situation. Yeah. Yeah. A lot more fun. Yeah, it's a lot more fun. You're respected. Mm. <laughs> you're respected by the person who pays more at the end yeah. of the day. Yeah. All right. Um, number three. It's a little bit associated with the previous one, but allowing too much scope creep. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's one of those where it's always good to over-deliver, especially as a consultant, to over-deliver something where the person goes, wow, mm. but without them taking you for granted. Yeah. So again, people often allow scope creep to happen because they don't want to say no. They fear what happens if they did say no. They're fearful of... Um, not getting the next contract. Uh, so this is about your, 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 again, this is about your value, knowing this is my value for what I do. And I had, a, I had a client of mine literally push back on a very, very big company. She phoned me up very excitedly and said, I've just been asked to come in and do this piece of work. And then over the course of the next couple of weeks, they started to change the rules of what they originally said because she was a boutique business and they were a very big company. And we discussed, just say no, push back. Because remember, they asked for you. You know, you've shown them the value. She pushed back. She got the contract on her terms because she knew her value to them and the fact that she was a small boutique and this was a very large company was irrelevant. So this, again, is knowing your value and being able to defend your, your value. And this stops happening. Absolutely. Okay, what about number four, not upselling, cross-selling or telling the client what else you can do for them. So when we say upselling or cross-selling, it's a bit like the McDonald's, would you like fries with that? but it's obviously a bit more sophisticated than that. But we have consultants who can do many different services or they do one project, but don't talk about other services that they can provide, whether that's to help the client improve their situation or just to improve the revenue per client for that actual consultant. So what are your thoughts? Not upselling, cross-selling or telling the client what else you can do for them. Well, it's, it, we all know, I can't remember the figures off the top of my head, but it's much easier to resell to a client you already have who's happy than it is to get acquire a new client. So at the moment, the world is exploding, the internet is exploding with all these uh, people telling you how to get new clients. But if your client is happy, and I had this actually with a client who's re-engaged me, and I asked why, and it said, because I trust you to talk to me straight so I can clear this up quickly. So we did, we're doing another process with them. So that's a, a cross-selling in this case. And it's because they don't want to mess around looking for someone new. You don't want to mess around having to find someone new and build that relationship. So your profit goes through the roof because you can say, I can do this for you and I can do this for you. As long as it is valuable for you to do that and it's valuable for them, but your clients will be looking, if, you're, if you're, they're happy with you, you're going to make life easy for them by upselling and cross-selling. 
because they don't have to do all the due diligence and, and everything yeah. else. They can say, can you do that as well? And said, yes, I can. And said, oh, hallelujah, tick. Yeah, That's one of the big things off their list. And they can rely on you. Absolutely. Yep. Okay. Uh, spending too much time on busy work as opposed to money-making work. Firstly, Stephen, what is busy work versus money work? And then why would people spend too much time on one rather than the other? Yeah, we dealt, this is one of the big topics we look at in, in the training we put together. And it's, it's really, really important to understand the difference. That how much of your day do you actually spend on making money? And this is not even client fulfillment. This is doing things that actually create more opportunity for more money to come in. So most people think client fulfillment, I do this piece of work and then I get paid as, as money work. But that's really, you can put that in busy work. So it's doing lots of busy work is doing all the things, first of all, that you need to do to run your business so you can make money. But a lot of people do a lot of busy stuff because they don't want to do the things that make them uncomfortable, like marketing, for example or asking for the deal, or anything that you find uncomfortable, and this is what we're talking about, what blocks people, is that we all have things that make us squirm a little bit, or a lot, as as the client I was talking about today, getting out there and getting known and putting them out there for them makes them very uh, uncomfortable. That's their block, going out, promoting themselves, feeling confident in themselves. So they spend a lot of time being busy doing training courses to improve their skills. So it looks like they're working on their business, but what they're doing is anything else that stops them from having to go out there and actually say, hey, I'm really good at this. So there's a lot of time we spend. I think most of our day can easily be taken up with busy work as opposed to money-making work. Yeah, yeah. That's a big one. All too easy. Yep. Great. Let's look at the next one. Number six, not getting agreement on the next step in a sales process. So these days with social media, there's that term ghosting where people just sort of vanish, disappear. I think it's more from the dating world or something, but um, in a sales context, it's at the end of a sales meeting, it's not saying, right, what's happening next in terms of a process. So why do people not get that agreement? A lot of the time it's because they are, well, there's many reasons there's many, many reasons, but if, if you're being ghosted, let's go back to being ghosted, okay? So there's a great phrase I, I heard, which I love, which is, is a half-life on enthusiasm. So enthusiasm drops really quickly once we are out of the situation. So we can be talking about a need, we can be talking about their pain, we can be talking about the outcome that you can create for them, and they are... Yeah, excellent, perfect. Let's let's move forward. Yeah, great. Let's do that. But then they leave the meeting. The phone goes down. The Zoom. The the you shut off your Zoom. And then what's going to happen next? Now, your client may then walk into six other meetings that day. Yeah, and you're out of their mind, and they might have more things that are more important. So you need to, just on a practical thing, you need to keep your process going. 
what is it you need next? When should we call next? And the advice I've always been given is if you're having a, a call and then someone says, let me think about it, you need to get them on the call again within a couple of days, a couple of days, because we all know what it's like. And this is why the pushy salesperson tries to um, make sure you make an agreement and sign on the dotted line before you leave. Yeah. Because we can change our mind. Somebody else can talk to them about, you know, your competition can talk to them. So you need to be saying, what, what's the next step? How do we progress this forward? Because you want to keep this going until it's over the line and done. There's another big reason that people don't often talk about and think about, though, is that the person who's hiring you is hiring you as an expert. They may not be the expert in, in what they do. They'll try to come over it as being an expert because they're in control and they're the one with the purse strings. It's their company or they're acting on behalf of the company. But actually, they need you to be the expert who drives the next part of the process forward. As a consultant, they need you to advise them on what to do next because they don't know or they may not know. So they will have an internal process. You have your process and you've got to make them marry up and their process may not fit what you need. So you need to be driving this and coming over as the expert almost from the word go. So they again can be confident that the decision they've just made or they're going through making is by somebody they can trust. So not just a, we need to deal with the half-life of enthusiasm and they can forget about it, they go on holiday, um, and they move job and you think, where's this wonderful contract gone? <laughs> you need to move it forward so it doesn't fall over by accident or just neglect. But also you need to impress them that you are the person who's in charge. Yeah. You are the, you're the boss in this because that's why they're being hired. So when my yeah. clients... Um, take me on and they make, you know, remember, it's always the client that says yes or no. You can't ever close a client. client. Client makes a decision. You get into the point where they will choose to make a decision, as we've talked about asking for that sale or not at the end of the, 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 the conversation. But my job is then to guide the client immediately and say, right, let's get this done. Let's, let's, let's make sure you get the result. So you then have to jump in and make sure but the sales process turns into a fulfill fulfillment process. Yeah, I like that. And it's not about being pushy. It's about having clarity uh, around a process so that you demonstrate your professionalism, competence, et cetera, for when you'll be doing the next stage of work. So, yeah, I, I, I really like that. Okay, number seven is the old chestnut of offering discounts. What are your thoughts on that one? Oh, wow. Again, it's Back to my tango question. Um, <laughs> this, is, this is a can of worms because wow. this, this depends on your marketing and sales strategy. Now, I'm not a, I'm not a sales trainer. I'm, I know we're talking about, you know, this. You know, I, I, I help my clients have the right offer in the right place and believe in themselves and stop getting in their own way. Mm. And that, as most of these points that we're talking about here, is about valuing yourself. So many people undervalue themselves, so their business is undervalued and they don't get paid what they should. Mm -hmm. So it's a simple question is, why do you need to offer a discount? And I quoted my, my fee to someone yesterday, and there's two parts of what they needed in, in, um, for them. And I said, 
they asked, so that's how much is for the first part? How much for the second part? And they said, how much together? And I said, the same price. And they said, no discount. And I said, <laughs> why would I discount something I know that you need and is valuable to you and you'll earn multiple times off? <laughs> so why do we need to do discounts? Now, we need to do discounts usually because we're trying to grab somebody, grab attention, beat competition. So if you think of um, supermarkets or any business which is similar uh, to another business, well, they have to differentiate themselves. And one of the ways they do it is by saying, I'm going to be cheaper. But that immediately devalues you and takes your profits out. So I would spend more time making sure that people will say to you, I will pay for you because of what you offer is so good. Discounts is irrelevant because they understand the value. The only time I would offer a discount is when I know that the person who I am negotiating with simply loves to win something. And they're often salespeople. So if you're working with um, salespeople, sales directors, this is a, it's a competition. They like to win. So you've got the business, but what makes them sign on the dotted line is when they get a discount when they didn't have to pay full price. So I've got people I know in my head, that's just the game I play with them because that's the game they play with their <laughs> Um, customers and the way they do business. But I would say that's 90% of the time I don't do discounts. So have a very good reason for discounting because it's all too easy. Your profits fall through the floor. You devalue yourself and you become a commodity. You could become something that's comparable to something else. And it's the race to the bottom situation, which is very dangerous. There's a wonderful picture I like to email out, email out to people from time to time. It's, this, it's a guy in a tattoo parlor holding up a picture of a unicorn or something mm-hmm. like that or a pegasus. I can't remember what it is. Um, but the person, the tattooist is behind them drawing this on their back, but it just looks horrendous. It's, you know, one of those statues that go wrong from time to time, like Christiana, Cristiano yeah. Ronaldo famously got a statue done, unveiled of him and looks horrendous. But it's an example of you can go for cheap, but you will not get what you're after and the results that you want for you or your clients. I agree with what you've said there. Number eight then is uh, thinking that they lack the experience or the expertise to win new clients. That's a big one. Yeah. Again, that's the conversation I had twice in the last 24 hours I had this morning. This, this person had, or both of them had loads of experience, loads of expertise, loads of qualifications, but they doubted them. They thought they weren't good enough and, and it's the good enough thing. And this goes back into people's childhoods and this is the mindset stuff. So when will they be good enough? When will they have enough experience? When will they have enough expertise? Now, if you're being very pragmatic and sensible, you're thinking, well, this person has this experience in this particular field and I don't. That's reasonable. That's just logical, sensible um, thinking 
So what are you going to do to get that experience? What are you going to do? Or that's not your niche. That's not what you go for because you have experience and knowledge elsewhere. But here's the thing. If you have something that a client needs, they don't know how to necessarily understand your experience or expertise. Also, to be honest, they don't particularly care. Yeah. They just want the result. And if you can do that result, that's what you've got to think about. So when you start comparing yourself to everybody else and why is that person better and I can't charge as much as this, then you're not thinking about it from the point of view of the client, which is very simply that they want the outcome. And if you can make the outcome happen, that's enough. Absolutely. And taking an HR or human resources industry context and putting it around that, you might try to win a project with a um, client who's in the HR role. So they might be an HR director or VP of HR, something like that. They're vastly experienced. Of course they are. And you might be thinking, well, they can do it better than I can. So how on earth are they going to hire me? But they might be hiring you for a specific job, uh, project, process. Mm -hmm. Uh, It might be that uh, if it's in a recruitment field, for instance, that you have this wonderful ability to turn a difficult candidate who's not going to say yes to a, applying for a role and winning them over and say, yeah, right. Because, for instance, in the tech world, you know, these tech, uh, the software engineers, they get offers all the time. Hey, here's an interesting job. Here's an interesting job. They say no to most of them. Or you might have this ability to, to say, yeah, I want to apply for that one. Or you might have a process down that's just so efficient in an employee engagement setting where you talk to every employee and you capture all their data and you put it into a beautiful package that the management team can then use to recreate their culture, but you specialize in this area. It doesn't matter that the end user, the end client is more experienced than you. It's how you uh, package things up. And, and also their experience enough to know either they can't do it, they don't have the time, or they don't want to do it. Yeah. Even if they could, they that's may not want one. to. Yeah, because yeah. what you you can do better than them, you know, or, or perhaps not as well as them, they still don't want to do yeah. because they've got a thousand other things that they've got to do on their list. Definitely. So, you know, this is when we, we doubt ourselves all of the time. And, and, and we do talk about this in, in the, the program, mm-hmm. but this is about building your niche and having the courage to and the belief that you have a speciality that you will put out there. And then people say, hallelujah, you can take this off my hands because you can just focus on this because I need it to be focused on and I can't. And that's why they'll pay you. They'll pay you well for doing that job well. Yeah, that's just so important. Yep. Yeah. All right, number nine, not putting themselves out there and sharing thought leadership or marketing content online. In other words, hiding away and not sharing thoughts and comments and advice on LinkedIn in particular. Well, the, the client I was talking about this morning Okay, the, the potential client I was talking about this morning, and I was talking about his comparison with a person who's doing amazingly well. And the person who's doing amazingly well has their niche and they're out there. Now, I helped them because they had a bit of a, or oh, am I good enough? And as soon as they did that, they put 25% on their sales within a month. Right. The person this morning doesn't put themselves out there because they've got an even bigger problem with their belief in themselves. So when you put yourself out there, sharing thought leadership, 
the biggest problem is the same it's the dating game people think we're going to get rejected and human beings hate being rejected but if you're not out there showing people what you can do um then no one's going to know and i promise you i i suffered from this for many 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 years i really did i i, I get it so i'm not i'm not preaching from a, a lofty idea I, <laughs> I i had to break this block myself so trust me i'm an expert on this one <laughs> okay putting yourself out there and saying, I can do that. Once you get through that block is easy because you're proud of what you know and you're able to be out there. But because it's online, it's out there, people think, well, everybody or anybody might not like it or disagree. So therefore, it's a bigger risk. But it's, 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 this, is, this is exactly the same as standing up in front of a group and doing a, um, you know, a public speech of some description. Mm -hmm. So people will say to me, well, I'll do something I feel confident in. Well, yeah, of course you would. You'll stand up and do something you're confident in. But so many people won't voice their opinions within a group because they're worried about being, you know, shouted down or rejected or not being good enough. And this is the stuff that holds people back. So this means we undervalue ourselves. We're trying to defend ourselves. We don't want to um, ask for the sale. We don't want to ask for the right price. We don't, we stop ourselves. All, all of this stuff is often for very much very similar reasons is that, is it okay for us to believe we're good enough? Yeah. And the biggest test of good enough is actually putting yourself out there, asking for the deal, putting it on the price. So this is why people, don't get out there and tell people how good they are. They don't ask for the right price just in case people laugh at them or say they know that's not worth it. So what we do is in trying to keep ourselves safe emotionally, we hurt ourselves in the real world because we don't get the deal. We don't do the work we want to do. We don't get paid what we really should be paid. So we end up trying to defend our feelings but then we beat ourselves up because we can't take our family on holiday to where we want to take them. We can't afford that new bike for our kids mm. because we're trying to feel nice by feel better by not taking the risk of putting your hand up and say, I'm good at this. Feeling safer. Yeah. 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 So it's an illusion, but it's, it's just human nature. Absolutely. All right, Stephen, last one. Number 10, commoditizing themselves. Mm. What exactly do we mean by commoditizing and, and what? Well, come on, Ian, I've been doing all the talking. What do you mean by it? Because I touched on it earlier. So. You did, you did. All right. Um, yeah, so this is one I see so much. Uh, I, so I, I talk to consultants and, and firms around the world, a couple of thousand people that I contact every week. Um, and time after time, it's a very generic service being offered. Uh, so if it's an HR consulting firm, then it's we do generic HR consulting services for small to medium, large businesses mm. in every industry, um, pretty much anywhere. And you go, well, that's great, but you've just blended in, you know, you're just a little drop in that big ocean over there. Commoditizing therefore happens, which means that their prices go down. They don't stand out. It's hard to win new business and so on. So, yeah. but it's a question of why do people do it? I guess. What do you think, Stephen? Uh, again, <laughs> I had this conversation with the, the gentleman this morning and he said, you know, um, he, he, you know, I call it the, the painful middle. It's like British Airways versus Ryanair versus 
um, a private jet. Private jets are going to do fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ryanair is going to do fine. Long as they've got, long as they can control their margins. Okay. Yeah. Ryanair are going to do fine because they will undercut everybody and people will grumble, but people will still use them. British Airways is in trouble because they're nowhere. They're in this dangerous middle. So when you're commoditizing and you're, you're, you're vanilla, no one can compare you easily. So, you know, I, I, you know, I, I take the mickey out of accountants because and I meet an accountant and I say, what makes you different? So just as you said, their version of that is um, we really care about our clients. We get to know them. We do more than just um, compliance and tax work. And every single one of them is saying the same thing. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. Yeah. So most industries has a common um, elevator pitch or quality. The one I see all the time, our, our difference is our quality of service. Like, okay. Exactly. So, and this comes down to, to niching. This comes down to actually specializing on your value. So if you want to commoditize yourself, you have to do this as a deliberate strategy and you have to usually do it on budget you have to be cheaper and prepare to be cheaper and undercut people and 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 you've got to have deep pockets you've got to play the long game and you've got to have a lot of lot of lot of customers mm. so if you do not want to to do that route and if that's you as a one person or two person or a small company um, that's impossible to do okay unless you have a product which is highly automated and with very little of your time if you are wanting to work with people and, and, and actually do meaningful work that you really enjoy and you're not a product, you've got to go to the higher level end. You get caught in that middle of being, you know, in a, in a brown box that looks like a hundred other brown boxes. Yeah. You, it's a very dangerous place to be, but it's what it is, is soul searching and, it's this, this morning, again, coming back to just happens to be right in my, my mind is that we were just talking about my client who's doing very well in his, in this industry, in this industry, he has a very, very specific niche of who he goes for as his clients and he's doing very well from it. And then he said, yeah, I don't know what my niche is. And we chatted for five minutes and I gave him two ideas. To me, it's obvious. And he was like, I never thought of it that way because we <laughs> often don't see our own strengths. We don't, we, we, if we doubt ourselves like he was doing, he, you certainly don't see them. But he has things that my, my client would never do. They're, they're in the same industry. Uh, they want to do the same thing. They have similar qualifications, similar ages. They even look similar. But they have two totally different outlooks. So, therefore, they've got two totally different niches they can both attack very, very successfully. And he had spotted it because – for him, that's normal. He doesn't see himself as being valuable. He has a problem with his value and his confidence, but he also doesn't, he wasn't able to see his, what his niche was. So therefore he's just in the big, big sea of very, very similar coaches in this case. Yeah. In which, in which case it becomes a commodity. Yeah, absolutely. It lacks control. All right. Well, we've covered uh, 10, very important mistakes there and things to be thinking about when trying to grow a business in the human resources industry. If you're listening to this, I highly recommend you go and check out 
our course that we've just released called Beating Your HR Business Blocks. And that's at getmorehrclients.com forward slash blocks. And what that is, is Stephen and I are going to walk through four or five modules and we're going to be, you'll see us uh, on the screen and we're talking through via a Zoom call recorded videos. And we're going to be walking through the, the big mistakes that people make and then how to resolve those. And we're going to do that in sort of four sections and with a few bonuses thrown in there as well. Um, before we go, Stephen, what are your final thoughts around these mistakes and also why people should look at the Beating Your HR Business Blocks course? Uh, very simple. Everybody has value to somebody else. My, my, you know, back from when I was a physio, I was puzzled, absolutely confused why people get in their own way. I know that now. That's my speciality. has been for 20 years. The first thing is you have value to somebody else. It doesn't matter what, what your speciality, what your niche is, your experience, you have value to somebody else. When you understand your value, then your whole behavior, how you sell, how you market, how you work, the pricing, that'll all change incredibly quickly. But so many people, 40% of people, have a big enough problem believing in themselves that they get in their own way and they undersell their value. Um, and my passion is to help you get out of your, the way, get, get rid of the block that's stopping you being rewarded for what you're really good at. And if your brain just went, yeah, but I'm not that good, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> and I have an absolute passion to help people do this because when you get out of your own way, it's like driving one foot on the accelerator, one foot on the brake. Take your foot off the brake and you fly. It's as simple as that. Before I let you go, Stephen, there was an example you told me a little while ago where you had uh, someone you were working with, they had, I think it was a course or a service and they were undercharging it. And oh, yes. they basically went through the process that we're describing in the course. No changes to the service or product and pretty much doubled their price. Is that right? Tripled, tripled. Tripled and sold it. Not just made a change to the price, but actually sold it. Is that yeah, they were, having, they were having a hard time pitching and selling at the lower, the lower price because, you know, oh, I'm not good enough and, you know, oh, what will people think about me if, you know, and, and so they under, undersold it. So when they got out their own way, they then immediately, and this was in weeks, within, a, within four weeks, I think it was, they immediately put the price up to what it should have been, which was three times the price. So this is not, they didn't increase the price. <laughs> no, no, obviously they did, but it, the, this is the price they should have been selling it at from the start. And actually they still think it's a bit underpriced. But so they fixed the price as, as in they, they fixed, resolved yeah. it or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, exactly. And now we're working on a product and uh, you know for the right niche of what they really are passionate about because they've got it out in their own way which is five times no sorry ten times the size of the original offer they had wow so within eight weeks 12 weeks something like that they've gone from massively underselling to creating the product at ten times the thing and they're itching to sell it they just got to go through the process of putting it together yeah i love that so if you're listening to this, I urge you to check out the Beating Your HR Business Blocks course. 
So getmorehrclients.com forward slash blocks. And I think it's a really powerful opportunity for you to grow your own business. Stephen, I really appreciate all the insights you've shared with us today. So thank you very much for your time. My pleasure. My pleasure. If I can help somebody get out their own way and just do better and, and relax about life and enjoy life and take, don't take the stress home to the family, that's, that's what I love. Mm-hmm. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to, to chat to your guests. Thanks for joining us today on A Better HR Business, the podcast that explores the world of HR consulting and HR tech businesses. For show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Remember to subscribe and share the show with any friends who are busy growing a HR business. Thanks and see you next time.